There must be like a good modern mechanism for that where you can have like if we each had a device where we could like have a shared countdown or something, but it was literally. I think it's just the internet now because everybody's watches yeah. are just always synced <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 380 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the tools programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is September 9th, 2020. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. So be prepared. Be prepared for that. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, thank you very much for letting us grab your money so we can keep our microphones powered. Uh, we're trying to get them powered by uh, new nuclear fusion technology, mm-hmm. which is really coming money, along. Actually. Yeah, it takes a lot of investment, though. So, yeah, keep, yeah. The, keep that flowing. Cause- yeah, so far, you know, worldwide, we are just like trillions uh, of dollars deep into this, and we've only managed to uh, to heat heat plasma to 100 million degrees Celsius for like 30 seconds, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is almost almost enough to to get a podcast episode out. So, yeah. uh, you know, a little bit a little bit more money, and I think we got it. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think we'll solve all the world's um, energy problems too, which would be pretty great. But, but mostly, it's the podcasting that Can is you the focus. Imagine how much crypto we could all have; it would be amazing. That's true. Oh yeah, everybody would have billions of cryptos, mm-hmm. and then we'd all be rich. Yep, that's how that right. works. That's, that's, that's how it works. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we've got some life news. It's been uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we last recorded. Um, I was at the end of one of the episodes. I said, you know, I was going to be in Amsterdam on a trip. That did not happen. Uh, our grandfather died during the the previous couple of weeks. Um, he had been he had been not doing too well at the end of his life. You know, he was so it was late stage Alzheimer's and all yeah. that. Yeah, stuff. so it was not entirely. I mean, it was kind of unexpected, but it was one of the you know everybody's kind of always bracing themselves for like some kind of cascade of problems at some mm-hmm. point um, when somebody reaches that stage of life. So it was it was a you know it was a tough uh, tough time. We we went and and uh, spent some time with the family, so I, you know, I canceled my trip and we all. Got together and, and went up there. Um, we were we were pallbearers at the funeral, which mm-hmm. uh, was a st- strange experience. Yeah, I have to say. I think the well, I mean, the weirdest part of it is that nobody warns you just how heavy oh, the yeah. casket is. Yeah, like it was, inc- it was incredibly heavy. Yeah, and, yeah. They were just and, like, I, and oh, yeah. I knew going in because, like, it's a farm family, right? So it was like, it's like Everyone's our uncles are just these huge dudes, and they can crush like a they're gr- new granite with stars. Let's they're be like, real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They think like a never-ending story of that rock guy, you know, that like mm-hmm. can just eat rocks. It's like that kind mm-hmm. of a vibe, right? And so, like, just like farmer strong, right? And mm-hmm. then here, like, we come rolling, but in particular, me as this like, as this like computer dwelling uh uh you know hobbit right with just no mm-hmm. strength whatsoever and i warned them ahead of time i was like because they were like oh yeah we're, we're, we're gonna need you guys to be Paul bears or whatever you know and i was like i will not be able to help you know i could be, <laughs> I could be there symbolically i guess but even though i knew that i was weak and it was like kind of a joke it was like that was gonna be kind of hard you know 
uh, I wasn't prepared for just how out of my depth oh, that yeah. was. It was yeah, that was yeah that was a heavy. shockingly heavy thing to carry around. Even with I think there were six of us on the thing. There were six, six, seven six at one time. Yeah, um, but we also had dramatically varying heights. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we yeah. So that doesn't that you know it doesn't help. But uh, yeah, and also you know my I had you know my first response to like hey you know we want you to be a pallbearer. First response was like no yeah same <laughs> yep. I don't want to. I don't. That like it's gonna be hard enough already uh, to to be there at this. You know, just like emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, to be there at this thing. I don't want to also have a, a job that involves you know physical labor and all this stuff. Um, uh, and then I thought nobody wants to. Yeah, it's not that <laughs> right. Like nobody jumps on like that opportunity. Just, yeah, and it's kind of like yeah, this isn't about me. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, and so I was like, I, you know, yeah, I'll. I'll do it because um, somebody, you know, somebody's got to do it. And it was, it was our, our grandpa's, you know, request that his grand grandchildren mm-hmm. be the pallbearers. And it's like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it is um, one of those things too, where it's, it's as heavy and uh, potentially dangerous. I was worried because I, you know, I've just sort of finished a bunch of PT fixing my low back. Yeah. And this thing, it's so I felt heavy. the torque. Yeah, and it's on back. And it's only on one side too. Like you're just holding on with a right hand or left. Yes. Hand, right? and so, yeah. It was so heavy compared to my weakness that I wasn't even in risk of injury. I was just in risk of just like collapsing, just like, just, just <laughs> falling crumbled. to the ground. Yeah. As we were making our final sort of walk over to the uh, to the gravesite, and uh, Adam and I had swapped spots after the first one. Adam was like, "I think I'm going to die" because he was in the heavier end. It was much better the second time. <laughs> yeah, so we swapped spots. Um, but yeah, I don't know how you got down the stairs the first time uh, in that position you were in. Uh, it was because it was rough. It was so heavy that as we're yeah, as we're walking toward the the gravesite, it's only like a you know, fifteen foot walk or something like that. And I was genuinely because I, I could feel my low back in that exact spot where it's twerked mm-hmm. before. And I was could like, feel your body stop. just yeah, decompensating. I was like, not now, not now. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, it somehow made it to actually have uh, hold it together, Sam. But yeah, I think it, it is one of those things. That it becomes a meaningful thing after the fact because it's a uh, you know it's a heavy, hard thing to do. But I mean, that's kind of in a weird way. It's a physical. It's like it's a, a physical representation of the yeah, act of the, the whole situation. Emotional. Yeah. Thing. So I think yeah. it's a, it becomes actually nice if you survive it. But I guess what I want to get at because like <laughs> yeah. people said like oh you're going to be a pallbearer and I didn't have really two thoughts about it as far as wanting to do it or not because I didn't I just didn't realize how heavy that thing was. Um, yeah, but I think I, yeah. I had a suspicion because I was like, that's well, actually, it's more I just started from the standpoint that I know how weak I am. And I was like, no matter what it is, it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that was my it, kind of it could be 18 in. pounds. Yeah, so it was immediately, I was decimate like, my whole system. Yeah, because well, originally, because it was also like mm. you're just like the grandsons, literally, there are four of us, right? Yeah. And I was like, and my original response was, I don't think. That that's oh, possible. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I was Googling around. I was like, how heavy is a casket? You know, and it's like around what around 400 pounds, you know, or and could be more depending on the casket of the person and so on. And I was like, this is this is not gonna work. I'm but going unfortunately, two of our another funeral immediately. Two of our, yeah, yeah. Two of our what do you call mm-hmm. cousins in law? Is that mm-hmm. what that is? It's the the husbands of our two cousins. female cousins on yeah. that it side. Must be cousins yeah. in law. Cousins in law, we'll just call them cousins, yeah. whatever. So we had two cousins in law to help out too. Um, so yeah, but it was like it so was, we had six, but we didn't have. We only had one like literal farmer in that group, though. You realize that? Mm-hmm. Here we are in a yeah. sea of farmer strength, right? And it's just like we'll take mostly 
the, the weak computer people. nerds. Our, the computer <laughs> squishy ass, <laughs> us squishy nerds, uh, doing our doing our best, you know. Uh, but yeah, so that was that was our our past uh, couple of weeks, and yeah. and I gotta say, you know, our, our grandpa was a character. Oh yeah, you know he he was he was the he was the toughest person I've ever known, um, and he also had all kinds of life hacks. One of which was he he had a whenever he needed to go to any kind of event, basically, basically anytime he left the farm, mm-hmm. right? So he's like going to see like once you know he went to see Adam in Chicago, right? When like Adam was going to college there. Or he would like when he goes to church. Basically, anytime Wedding, he went anywhere, whatever, yeah. weddings, yeah, whatever. Anytime he left the farm, it's like okay, that means it's an event. Uh, it's a it's a fancy event, and he always just wore like khakis, blue shirt, and a white cardigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and because and that was the, just the same one, like the, it was the, the same, same one for like thirty quick. for like thirty forty years. Yeah, uh, uh, and so because that was just his look for getting dressed up and going somewhere, then everybody knew like, no matter what the event is, he's going to look good. You know, he's going to look nice. He's going to look put together. He's not going to adhere to the specifics of whatever the dress code are, but he left the farm and he put on his signature look and he's good to go. Right. And so, man, that guy saved so much money on (laughs) on outfits. (laughs) And it was the yeah. mere fact of him having left the farm was already sufficient evidence that, like, he cares about the thing because yeah. he could not tear that man away from no. doing work, you know. He's he's one yeah. of those guys him, who just, Him like, being somewhere yeah. was a huge deal, you yeah. know. And so the fact uh, that he still put in even that much effort where he, like— Yeah, like, I'm just happy he's here. Got yeah. cleaned up, put on, <laughs> put on his nice clothes, yeah. you know? uh, But it was, it was funny because he also, like, for as long as I can, like, vaguely remember— um, anytime he always, he's also always wearing a, you know, like baseball cap. Right. But it's always from some John Deere. It's always a John, Deere, past, John Deere cap. Yeah. yeah. For the longest time, right. it's been just a John Deere cap. Before that, there was like a Cargill seed, you know, it's just like various mm-hmm. kinds of, of things. Right. But like every time he's, he's outside working, that hat is on. Right. If he's doing yep. other stuff, the hat's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was very funny. Cause like, cause of the, the, the way they had him, you know, presented at the, visitation thing you know, the, the caskets open and he's laying there in his one in his cardigan in his cardigan in his like core outfit with his john deere cap like resting on his chest you know and it was just it was, it was like yeah it's one of those things that that i think a lot of people a lot of families would feel like that was somehow like didn't have enough decorum or something you know like mm. it didn't it's i was honestly right? worried that they were gonna like put him in a suit or something yeah yeah exactly like, yeah. that's not that's not who he was. Yep. You know? Yeah, but it was just like exactly him. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah. So they, yeah, they, they, it was great. They, yeah, they the service it. was great. And yeah. you know, it was, it was all very well done, which is really wonderful. Cause I think it's, those things are hard enough, but I think uh, having it so that all the, all the ple- pieces feel like they're, it doesn't feel like everything was out of place, which is great. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you don't, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to have that feeling that someone doesn't actually understand who they're talking about or <laughs> who they, who they put in the casket. Mm-hmm. And they, oh, yeah, yeah. they really got it. Really and it was, job. yeah. And, and I think give that, given that to like our, our grandpa's whole thing was just, Hard physical labor day in, day out for his entire life, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of the final kind of oh, – it's, it's not even a joke exactly, but it's like the final, uh, I don't know, just cosmic moment, yeah. moment you know, is that try, try to get him <laughs> – get his casket lowered into the grave. Like they have this 
I, I don't like. I haven't been to many funerals, and I think usually they don't do this. But we, we wanted to have this like thing where we threw like dirt in on top, you know, like soil from the farm kind of a thing. And so we needed the casket lowered so that we could do that. Because I think usually for these things, the casket's still up above the grave, and then everybody leaves and they handle that later, right? And then they then they do the actual burial without yeah. the yeah. So I there. think this is kind of like a. They're not used to it being like an on-the-spot kind of thing, and it's a slow process, but it's extremely manual labor intensive because it's like it's a contraption. It's, it's like basically a series of like pieces on and off. cables and stuff that yeah, lower yeah. this you know five hundred pound object into the ground. Yeah, it was very like interesting and cool, uh, but but it was like the guy who was doing it was like it's just. He was breathing so loud. He was, he was busting his ass, he was sweating, so trying hard. to get that thing. Down and there. and he did like he got it. He got it all the way down, and then with you know a lot of effort and struggles. But then there's a final step of like pulling up the cables and stuff, right? Um, which that part probably could have waited until we left, like in retrospect. But I think they didn't expect it to be as much of a struggle as it was. But it was just like caught under the gasket, and so this guy for like. Five minutes? In ten, the hot, it was a long Iowa time. sun because of where it was positioned. Was, oh, my God. Uh, just wrestling this just cable. Like, just trying to just get this crank cable and stuff. <laughs> and, and this whole, like, scene of, like, this, uh, this like, kind of janky machinery, right, that's, like, mostly, like, manual labor kind of a thing, plus, like, this really heavy load that it just has to get in there, and you're going to make it happen no matter what it takes, right? Well it's just like a perfect kind of final <laughs> kind of final scene. We're like, I don't know if I don't know if I don't know if Grip would have appreciated like this scene necessarily. I have no idea. But he could definitely appreciate this like sort well, of Well the fact that his that his last move uh-huh. was to make to make a couple of people just work their ass off. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you yeah. know, to 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 get him down there. Uh, yeah, yeah it was it was symbolic. Very yeah. much you know. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he's, he's a great dude. He lived a great life. Uh, so yeah, yeah. that was that. Uh, so other, other life news. Uh, so I got a, I got a Fitbit thing. Mm. One of these like, well, like watch Fitbit things because I've been having some, uh, heart issues. I'm fine, but it's just one of those, it's one of those, like, this is a little bit weird. And so it's, you know, you should just kind of like be, be checking in on it every now and then kind of a thing. And I was like, well, I, w- I want to be able to to monitor it myself, you know. So at least I have I have a better sense of what's happening. Um, so I got this I got this Fitbit because it you know tracks your heart rate just all the time, and you can like you get all your graphs and whatnot. And I think you can even do stuff like get like monthly reports where it compiles everything into a much more like granular data that you can cool. then go through in like a PDF form and stuff. Uh, but one of the interesting things about it is that it will track your sleep. And so it does stuff like it tracks your heart rate and your skin temperature and stuff to try to discern like which stages of sleep that you're in and like whether you're awake and, you know, all of that. Right. And uh, so I was talking to Sam about this earlier in the week because I've, I've always been under the impression that I'm uh, I'm not good at sleeping. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like that I, I toss and turn all the time and I'm kind of restless and I, it takes me a long time to fall asleep. But the problem with evaluating your own sleep is that you are unconscious during it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So You're sort of the only parts- the, the wake, how you feel when you wake up as actually yeah. evaluating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're evaluating two things. One thing 
is that when you is, is how you feel when you wake up. The other yeah, thing your is your vague recollection of having woken up or not. So, yeah, yeah. The, the the times and, and of course those are those are the the negative parts of the night. Like you woke up for some reason, right? And then you're trying to fall back asleep again. Um, but because because you know your brain tends to sort of like put an outsized weight on negative experiences, then even if you woke up for just like a few minutes and then fell asleep pretty quickly in your mind, you may think back and they'd be like, man, I was laying there for like 20 minutes and I just couldn't because I was like mad. You know, you don't actually know how long you were right. awake. You're half right? out of it basically. Yeah. Um, and you don't know the moment that you drifted off to sleep. It's not like you've got like a little like notepad where you're like, <laughs> okay, I'm asleep now. Check. Done. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been kind of disoriented because I've been looking at my Fitbit stuff <laughs> and, and it's like, it's t basically, it's telling me that I'm doing like a pretty dang good job of sleep. <laughs> like, like I, like basically one thing is, is, is feels true, which is like, yeah, on a given night, I'm, a, I'm awake for about an hour. It's in like these little random moments, you know, where like, you'll like kind of wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, for a few minutes here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like these little moments that are peppered throughout the night, but then it's like, you know, quickly fall back asleep and then good to go. Um, and so, so like one night, you know, I, like, it's like the dog is sneezing and there's like all kinds of chaos happening and stuff. And, I woke up thinking to myself the way I always think, which is like, man, what a terrible night. You know, like I didn't sleep a wink. Uh, and then I, I look at my Fitbit and it's like, this was your best night of sleep <laughs> in a week. And I'm like, what? And then I. But what is it? I, I, I mean, what makes good sleep though? Because it's. Because it's the interruptions well, yeah. that are the part that makes it bad. It's not. I mean, if, it's, if you're like light sleeping, so it's like constant interruption, that's obviously bad, right? But if it's like. Deep sleep, like deep successful sleep, punctuated by even a couple times by in the middle of REM or something, you know, like at, at a part where you're supposed to be like actually restful. Because the thing yeah. that actually is the worst about sleep is, you know, waking up, right? Mostly, right? But, mm -hmm. but you might do that multiple times, which makes it a bad overnight of sleep, right? But it's, it's all about like where in the when, sleep cycle yeah. that happens, right? Mm -hmm. And well, so, you would think so, but also like, if you then just immediately fall back asleep again and enter back into that sleep state pretty quickly, then it's probably fine, you know? Maybe. I don't know. Pro probably. Uh, yeah. Right. And so so now – well, now I feel like um, who's, who's, who's gaslighting me here, <laughs> right? Because like – because cause I woke up and I was like, all right, I slept I, – I had a, I had a terrible night of sleep based on like the facts about the night that I can recall. Yeah, because right? it should be evaluated based on how you feel, not based on what you think. Happened. Well, that's the thing. Because then I, you know, then I was like, I I feel pretty tired, but also I always feel kind of tired when I first wake up, you know. And then like within a half hour, like I had my morning routine and stuff, and like I feel I feel fine. I feel pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and then at that point, that's when I check my Fitbit, and my Fitbit is like, "Yeah, you slept great." <laughs> and I'm, and I'm just sitting here thinking, "Have I always like, have I just always my whole life been just generally pessimistic and like overemphasizing the negative aspects of my sleeping, and have actually just generally been sleeping pretty much okay?" Ooh, quite possible. Uh, I think it's it's a weird thing because it's like the the power of a of a narrative is what kind of comes into play here, which is like, oh yeah, I'm not good at sleeping. So, you know, what you're going to, you start, you start on that path, right? And you start now, every time you wake up in the morning, you're searching for 
these clues about how bad of a sleeper you are. You know what I mean? And so everything becomes about yeah. tallying those things as opposed to essentially, yeah, waiting until you know an hour and a half after you've woken up and then being like, did I sleep well now that I'm sort of in my body for the day? Uh, and there has been some really funny studies on this actually where they've they've done stuff like giving people Fitbits and then fed them, I think it was like a Fitbit or equivalent. It was like, it was like false data. Yeah, fed them false whatever. data. Yeah. So they would say like, oh, you- placebo effect. Yeah, to see like, is, can you can you cause a placebo effect with sleep? And yes, yes, you can. You could tell you someone- You can cause it with almost anything. Almost anything. You could tell someone who slept great that they slept terribly and they will feel worse during the day. <laughs> and vice versa. You could tell someone who actually slept quite poorly, actually, you know, according to this, like, yeah, you, you slept great and they will feel better. So I think what's- odd about it is like the data is the data is not the important part really of the like of the sleep experience right uh it's mm-hmm. really is that sort of overarching narrative that you're that you're putting yourself or like buying into for yourself uh and yeah you could use them like a fitbit to sort of you know hopefully correct it <laughs> in the right direction but i could also yeah. feel like i could see the opposite situation someone who thinks they're actually sleeping great and then they get a fitbit and now they are like moody and you know because i mean like, the, oh, yeah because the only way you can correct something is if you've accurately is, is at first you've accurately identified a, mm-hmm. uh, a consequence right as in like i am tired in the morning in a way that i shouldn't be right mm-hmm. so if you've correctly identified that which is already not necessarily as sam's talking about or necessarily true questionable but yeah, how do, how, but how now do you know? but now you have to if you're if you're like okay i think that's true and i want to fix it let me evaluate my sleep right? Using like a Fitbit mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, then, and now you start looking at the data, right? The problem is, is that what the fuck is correlated in the data? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't, you do not know. And there's like, there's like sleep is still one of the weirdest things. Cause like we spend a third of our lives doing it and barely understand it at all. Right. Um, so like, and this is what I was asking. Like, I know for my own sake, like sometimes if I get like five hours of sleep, I feel way better. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, if I get, you know, seven or eight, right. And other times if I, if I feel, if I get like a seemingly the same, like, you know, amount of sleep, like consistently, like, you know, seven or eight hours, it starts, I just like start to feel worse over time when I wake up. Right. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not as simple as like how many Snore hours. Is, yeah. And yeah. yeah. I think one of the core things that, that my wife and I both have found is that waking up to alarms yep. or being awoken by something, right. Like in the middle of the night. Like those are the things that, as far as we can tell, seem to correlate the strongest with having a shitty next day, right? So like our our bedroom is just like a global white noise machine. It's just like there's just so much white noise going on that like nothing can penetrate unless it's very loud. And it's a vault of yeah. And we use we use our uh, we have our lights on a timer to turn on in the morning, right? So that happens half an hour and, and like slowly gets brighter before our alarm comes on. So we're trying to like ease ourselves into. So that wakefulness and a wakefulness, right? Which like, I'm still bad at cause it all, it's all still happening like too fast for me, <laughs> but, but it's still better than it was. At least it seems to be. And I know my wife in particular is just like, it's like a, you know, night and day difference, right? Between before we started doing that and how she felt in the morning, uh, because interruptions are such a key, right? But well, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting yeah. about the way you're talking about the dough, because like, so my dog occasionally will just wake up at like four in the morning and be like, I need, I want to go out now. You know, I got to. Got to go do some business. Um, and what's weird about it is the first couple of times that it happened, it was it was on that level of like deep, frustratingly annoying thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now you know, I uh, my wife and I sleep on the the top floor of the house. We're three flights up, right? Um, 
So this dog gets up at 4 a.m. You got to go down three flights of stairs, take him out, come back up three flights of stairs, right? Yeah, you're really um, getting your heart rate up. Yeah. <laughs> but you're running been, some stairs. So it's similar. Like you expect that this this particular eruption would, especially given the length of it and like the exercise involved would be very annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, but weirdly enough, it doesn't seem to always be bad where it's like, yeah. I don't know well, if it's, again, yeah. It depends on that. I think it's the timing. Like I haven't read about this for a long time and I don't really know how much. My understanding of like sleep science was always that it's all a bunch of we think maybe, but no real solid stuff. Right Largely, REM is one good. One thing that I thought, yeah, that's about it. yeah, yeah, and that waking up out of the REM cycle in particular is the one that fucks you up. But the timing, like it's you actually you actually go through like four mm-hmm. like sleep cycles a night. Everybody's different, of course, right? But like, so you're not just like it's not that you go to sleep and are just in a deep sleep once you get there, right? It's already the case that you're going through these cycles, mm-hmm. and supposedly. The last I knew anything about this, the consensus, as I recall, was that was that uninterrupted REM was basically like the key to feeling actually good the following day, right? So, but what does it mean to interrupt it? Because it, it has to, be to woken stop up at, out of it. Yeah, but like it has to stop at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, do you? Does it matter that you like go from REM to like some other phase of sleep when it's when it's like quote done or can you just wake up directly from REM and it and it, like the fact that you were in REM sleep for that long is that's the thing that mattered. I don't know. It seems weird that like no, it, that, it like, is you actually interrupted like as in like if you're going out of REM naturally as you're sleeping you're into the these like lesser unconscious states right that are uh-huh. like those parts. That if you wake up out of those points, because it is still like the amount of room that you get is supposedly very important, right? But also how you wake up. Yeah, and if you wake like up a- when you're already like floating towards consciousness in the first place, just like naturally, then not coming out of like this deep mm-hmm. brain state as if – because like, when your brain is responding as if it's an emergency, like when an alarm goes off, right? Like it's, it's basically being like yeeted out of, <laughs> out of this yeah. like deep cozy space, right? Right. Um, and anyway, but again, I I don't know. I don't Who know how much. Yeah, my because yeah, my understanding is like that during sleep, something is happening in your brain where there's like um, it's some kind of like cleaning hormonal. Yeah, it's like it's like doing some stuff with like surges of different like hormones and things like that. There's all kinds of stuff going on. So it, but it's it on makes it does make sense that like it's not like a checklist where okay. it's like. Yeah. REM sleep, check. Did that one for 15 minutes, right? Because it's like it's all fuzzy edged. You, you, yeah, there, it's there's fuzzy edges. Where like you've got to get into different phases and then also like cleanly get back out of them yeah. based on what your brain is trying to do. So yeah, it, it does make sense that you can think of it like a that, recursive function, right? You like got to get all the way to the end and then you got to return all the way back up. But if something happens, if you could throw an error somewhere in that in that stack, right? As you're coming down, as you're coming back up, whatever. But a clean a clean cycle is the thing that supposedly. Yeah. Well, so so, so there, there really is claims that like, it was like if you get in a complete number of REM cycles, like whether right. it's three or four or five or whatever, um, if it's complete, then that's going to feel a lot better when you wake up. As in like you wake up when it's not in that state. Then if as long as you went into it a few times and like you had the full cycle, then that's what is supposed to make sleep that makes you feel rested. Yeah, I think so. Because some of my best sleeps have actually been it's usually around five o'clock when, uh, if if Yogi has woken me up to go take him out, then I'll come back mm-hmm. and I do what I, I refer to it as my second sleep. Which I because I, I sometimes I wake up around five or six, and I think because I wake up and then my back usually aches a little bit and I'm a little hot anyways in the morning. 
So actually, I cool down and kind of stretch a little bit during this, you know, taking the dog out thing, come back. And usually these are nights when I have some of my best sleep is this sort of second sleep that happens from the like four or five to about seven or eight window. If it's like yeah. a clean Because if you, if you get through a new, another cycle, right? That's then, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I guess suppose that, again, I, I, it's, there's so much, sleep is like nutrition, right? There's like, there's some stuff out there that there is a bit of confidence about, but for the most part, it's like a complete mystery and there's charlatans at every turn. Right? <laughs> so it's. It is one of those well, things. It, like, it's just so hard to know. We know it's very important. important you know what I mean? It's but very like, important yeah. for some reason. It's important and do it Do it in the, whatever the way that makes you feel the best. Because, you know, everybody's different too. Like there's some of these people who, you know, they claim they can sleep like three hours a night and just be like totally yeah. raring to go. And, and you know, and, you've, and it, for the most part, people who claim that, it seems to be accurate. Yeah, they have found like, that. They have done studies on on. People who literally do need just less sleep, which is kind of sort of weird, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not the same for everybody. Yeah, it's a little different. It's also, like, yeah, also like nutrition. There's no like just rule set that if you follow it, you're going to be a healthy person. Everything's fine. You know, it's it's just everyone's got their own custom. I, I guess in a way, sleep is like taxes, where like the government knows how much you need to pay, but they're not going to tell you. <laughs> you know, they're not going to tell you. You mean American if you, taxes specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you don't pay the right amount, you're in trouble. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, you got to do it right, but you're not going to get any feedback <laughs> about whether about how you do it right until you fucked it up. <laughs> then at that point, you get a lot of feedback. It's perfect. All at once. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the bill comes due. Get mm -hmm. your sleep. Uh, all right. So, so let's talk about Crashlands 2. Yeah, yeah. Crashlands 2, bearing in mind that it's been a strange, you know, past couple of weeks. And so we've missed some, some work. Um, but one of the things that we, we have been sort of just had on the back burner for a long time in Crashlands 2 is what happens when you die in the game? Mm. Okay. So, so up until now, uh, death in the game was literally, it was just like, you would take a, a, a fatal hit and then you would just instantly just reappear back at your spawn, spawn point, mm. um, which had some, strange consequences one of which was you never your character never actually like died like your character never disappeared or anything and so uh if you were for example in combat with a creature close to your home base and then it wrecked your shit mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. you, you got you got you got owned you got pwned by this creature you reappear like 10 feet away and you're just you're still in combat because <laughs> yeah. because mm -hmm. all that really happened is we just replenished your health and then, and then send you home. teleported home. Another hilarious thing that ha that would happen during this is that um, so we have like a, a juke ability in the game where you can like quickly it's it's like the Dark Souls roll mm -hmm. kind of a thing. It's it's not like an invincibility window, but it's like a quick dash, know, dash in a certain yeah. direction. And uh, whenever you initiate that dash, you know we we. We figure out, we calculate like, all right, what's your what's your path that you're going to dash across to make sure that you've got like an open, you know, place to go and stuff. Um, but if you died mid dash, then then like you would teleport back to your spawn point. <laughs> but then, then you finish the, the dash. <laughs> yeah, you would finish the dash and end up at the originally intended destination. And so you do this like wild whipping around the map instantaneously thing. And then the final thing that was kind of fucked up about the death thing <laughs> was just that was that if you died really far away, you know, you would teleport back home and but the camera would then just it would it would pan back there. It wouldn't like 
teleport back there. Mm-hmm. It would it would Wits. zip across the map. <laughs> um, and one of the features of of Crashlands and Crashlands Two is that like the map is pretty big, and so we do this this dynamic spawning thing where we only spawn stuff that's in the immediate vicinity of this of the viewport. So most things that are off screen, um, they exist. Yeah, they exist as data, but they don't actually have like an object in the world. And there's stuff. no so code like, running on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because it's because having you know fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, whatever you know, creatures or trees or whatever, all running at the same time, checking collisions can't do it. Right? It's too much. Computers aren't that good yet. So, uh, so for the most part, they don't exist. But then what happens is, as the cameras whip it across <laughs> the map. It, it the game has to like instantaneously spawn and despawn all these things as as we go across, uh, which then is just hugely problematic in terms of performance because now you've got all these residual like creatures that are still like wandering mm-hmm. around way off screen waiting to despawn because they've got little timers on them and stuff. Uh, yeah, so it's you know it's just like not great. <laughs> It's one of those. It's one of those. Like conceptually, at its core, death. The death mechanic was like, yeah, you die, then you like you reappear at the start. But mechanically, we really we didn't really spend any time actually like implementing yeah. it and sorting out the jank. You I know? mean, it is one of those interesting things. It's like uh, we've we've talked about the door problem in the past, and if uh, mm-hmm. if you haven't heard of that, uh, just do some googling. There's some really nice articles about about the idea. But the gist is that. In video games, things that seem like they're going to be simple are often not, right? Because you have like your real life shorthand. And so like in that example, there's the door, right? It's like, so if you have a door in the game, right? Then how hard could that be? Just put a door in there. Like, yeah. The as a designer, you it, just right? say, this game has doors. Yeah. And, and it sounds like as a human, you're like, yeah, I understand what a door is. Yeah. So no problem. And so now as the, as the programmer, then also as subsequently QA, right? Like how do you... How do you implement and how do you evaluate the implementation of a door, right? It's like, well, what are all the questions you have to ask? It's like, okay, is, can the doors be locked? Uh, can I see the character go through it? Um, how does can the character know they're next to it? How do they open uh, can it? They, how do they open it? Can they, put, can they take stuff through it? What happens if they're in – what happens if they're holding something when they go through? What happens to their inventory? What happens if they're dying as they go through? What, you're like, what happens if something is blocking the door? Does it open anyway? Does the yep. door have to check for does a collision? Does it have to know it's blocked it? right? Yeah, so like the list starts to all of a sudden of like what has to happen to just have a if door. It, just, if an enemy is too big to fit through the door, does it know how to crouch or is it just trapped now? Or does it just clip yeah. through the door? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, the list yeah. goes on and on. Et cetera. So, so yeah. like, so, you know, death in a game is the same deal, which is like, you just think of it as like, oh, I die and I respawn. Like that seems very simple, right? But as Seth just described, the reality of like this enormous running contraption that is like the game with all of its parts doing stuff, right? Uh, what does it mean for all of that when you die? Yep. And then what yeah. happens under all these conditions? Like you're like you're juking across a river, and then you die mid juke, right? <laughs> like there's an endless number of just design questions that have to be answered, but then also unintended consequences to to any single one of those. And so it it might sound weird that like that's really complicated. We decided not to address it until we had a whole bunch of more stuff like in place, right? Except it has to occur in this complex context. So. We can't really know how it's supposed to work until like a lot more of the context is there. Yeah, I think in the 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 major part for us was that we knew we wanted death to be more meaningful than it was in the original. Where in the original questions, when you died, you just drop you just drop like the last fifteen things you picked up. 
which basically amounted to like you know, cutting the last three trees you cut down, essentially, right? It, essentially, it would set you back by like 12 seconds. <laughs> yeah, tops. <laughs> and uh, because the world's procedural, in that case too, you'd never, you don't need to go back there because you just go anywhere and you'll get the same stuff. You know what I mean? So who cares, <laughs> basically? Uh, it was basically a time, just a little time hit, but not really anything else. Uh so with this one, we want to ask a different question, which is instead of saying like, instead of asking the question, how do you make, like, how do you make death essentially non-burdensome for the player? It's just a different frame, a different question, which is how do you create a death that would enhance the actual overall cores of the game, the exploratory components, the curiosity components, et cetera? Um, what would that look like? And so, and of course, rolling in the absurd stuff that we like to do. So yeah, and as as a as a note, my favorite model of things. So like death is just things. Something went wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Like something went poorly for you, and you failed, right? Uh, so one of my favorite games is Kerbal Space Program, mm-hmm. and what always happens in Kerbal Space Program is when you fail, your Kerbals are stranded. Mm-hmm. Either either they just or exploded, dead, yeah. and that's 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 done now. Right? <laughs> um, um, or they've run out of fuel somewhere and they're just trapped. They're like stuck on a moon or on another planet, or they're just floating around in orbit. Um, and so what I love about Kerbal Space Program is failing one mission is just, that's now the start of the next exactly. mission because yeah. you're like, you're like, I got to get my Kerbals back. Yep. And so you, you figure out some kind of plan to make a contraption to like get into orbit and rescue them. Yeah. And it's, so, so a failure just is just like a, the, the starting point of a of a new adventure, yeah. Yeah. right? But it Which all depends on the design, we hoping Because right? like if yeah. if if in Kerbal Space Program they designed us that the Kerbals like starve to death pretty quickly in the absence of like or run mm-hmm. out of life support or something, right? Yeah, then you got nothing to yeah. Yeah, like, well, then that's over. there's yeah. no <laughs> way you could have enough time to like do anything. But if you can keep repeatedly attempting rescue missions that you don't even need to do. Right, mm-hmm. but there could be like yeah. science points trapped on the thing, but but also you just like your kerbals. They're just little cute guys, you know. Um, so then you end up going on these like really wild adventures that you are a consequence purely of your own actions, right? Mm-hmm. But the game gives you space to explore that by how they chose to handle the question of like what happens if you get stranded in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think, yep. but I think that the whole framing of uh, of you know failure is just the start of another kind of adventure is sort of what we wanted to, to pull on and see if we could uh, really pull off in the case of Crashlands 2. So basically what happens now is you, similar to the original, you drop stuff when you die, but dissimilar to the original, you drop you drop all the stuff, all the, all the components that you currently have on your person. Um, and it's not Dark Souls like where, you know, if you do it again, they just explode. <laughs> so you just gotta, you just gotta come back to your body and find it. But the nice thing about that is because the game is not procedural now, you know, the place you died is by definition, because it's all a hand-built world, is an important place that has a thing going on, right? Uh, it might be that there's, that you got sort of ambushed by something, could have run into a creature you didn't, that you needed to fight, could have just died sort of casually on accident by, you know, getting into too many brawls or something. Just touch, just touch something you were touch the wrong to. thing. <laughs> uh, but then it does become this, this like, okay, you know, I, I do need to go back and get that, but I don't necessarily, it's okay if I fail in the attempt to go back and get it. So we want to keep that lightness present. Um, and then we're experimenting with whether or not to basically have this uh, kind of like a, a timer of sorts there where uh, healthy duration, you know, like half hour, hour of actual gameplay time that after which basically the, uh, the box holding all your goodies would, you know, kind of implode and then you actually would lose all of them. So the question there is like, is that, does that apply a level of urgency that's really fun to work with? Again, like does it do what we want to do from a design standpoint? Does failure 
cause the next adventure um, without becoming this sort of overly burdensome thing. Uh, and that's kind of, that's kind of where, where we're going with it. So Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting, right? Because like there's not just an answer to that. It's so easy to argue either because mm-hmm. like it's easy because like, my gut reaction to that question is, well, if the game is about getting to choose what you do next, if you're now on the clock to get your stuff back, then you really only have one thing you can do next now, right? And so then that takes away from the thing. But on the other hand, it provides this like interesting consequence of death plus a sense of urgency so Mm -hmm. that you actually need to go do that plus it also constrains you to having to get back into that same space where you just died Mm -hmm. right while the stuff that killed you is still potentially kind of going on because the so i think about this with like valheim Mm -hmm. where when you die you drop all your stuff your whole body wake up (laughs) yep you wake up you wake up in your bed naked wearing like a loincloth or something right and you probably – you were wearing all of your best stuff, right? So if you oh, were playing yeah. a lot, you might have like your backup shittier armor and stuff, right? But but usually when you die, like it's in a place where you're going to die again in all likelihood once you finally – if you even fucking yeah. make it there because yeah. you have to run – You couldn't naked. handle it before with yeah. all your great equipment and now you're naked. So yeah. good yeah. luck so with it's, that. It's one of those things that simultaneously <laughs> creates these really fun stories where like my wife and I were, were helping uh, one of her friends out who was playing – on his own server, and he asked us to come help him because he went into this really hard part, which is like the, the plains if you've played Vaughn, with these fucking mosquitoes that are giant. They just like one hit, one shot you. And he'd, he had died, he, so his body was over there. But he had like sailed the fucking ocean to get there, right? Mm, oh, no. So the amount of like investment that went into finally then having his body in this place And I guess at this point, so the high. boat— the boat that you used also is also on the there. other side of the ocean now. <laughs> yep. So you'll have to build a new boat called yeah. a coast to get back yeah. there. And so and there and so we so we spent like two hours like trying to help him do that, which at first was like a very fun, like sort of self-driven story, right? Mm-hmm. But then because it was just so challenging that all we did we just kept on losing investment after investment, right? And yeah. like Yeah. And that's what happens in in games like that where you invest really heavily into kind of irreplaceable things yeah. is that it becomes really important to get them back. But also, yeah. also you can't, you can't though. Right? <laughs> yeah. so it's one of the, it, but it, it's so like trying to find that balance of like, well, that's where there's, there's a billion places to ease, to yeah. ease off uh, how intense it is. And so like, we don't, we don't actually drop your equipment. Right. So you'll, yep. you'll be able to go back with your armor, your gadgets, like all your stuff, you know, that you've been using that you had on your person at the time, just not your inventory of basically items that you use to essentially progress, right? So it's almost yeah, like- we probably you, wouldn't drop your like special items that you can only find once and that kind of Yeah, it's like quest items. Like there's a whole, basically a whole large category of things that won't drop yeah. because of the fact that if they if they are special and one-offs and then they get potentially destroyed, if there's a timer involved, uh, you know, that's not fucking good because it's, mm-hmm. it's handcrafted world. You can't go get another one. <laughs> there's only one of them. Yeah, that, that was um, the one. Yeah, yeah. So we're not going to do that. Yeah. We're not going to do, we're not going to just perm, perma-delete your progress and block you from yeah. progressing. But uh, yeah, and, and I, I don't, I don't want to necessarily disclose what happens when you die in Crashlands 2. <laughs> mm-hmm. Instead, I'll just quote Carl from our QA team. Mm, yeah, go for it. Okay. Because we, one of the things that's fun about having, you know, having a QA team that isn't, you know, it like sitting there with the developers through all of the design conversations is they just get to be surprised by stuff and we get to hear, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, what they think about it. So Carl said, uh, holy shit, that's incredible. That was the most unexpected death animation ever. <laughs> so um, buckle up. We'll <laughs> and if you're if you're trying to imagine like what that could possibly be, I promise you, you are, you're not. You're wrong. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, we, I mean, we, we have to carry on the Crashlands tradition of like when you evolved your pet in the original game, mm-hmm. you know, that caught, that caught people yep. by surprise. So we thought, you know, let's do of more of, let's yep. do more of that kind of thing. Yeah, it was, it was one of our, it's still one of my absolute favorite things watching people play original Crashlands is it, everybody had the same response to leveling up their first creature, which was first like, Shock and oh, confusion. First, oh, it's like Pokemon. And then what? Yeah, and, then, <laughs> and then just like gleeful amusement, right? And it was just so satisfying. Yeah. Problem was like in the original game, you know, that was one of the very few moments like that. And upgrading a pet was like, oh, it took a while. That was mm. a while into the game before you got hit by one of those just absolutely wild moments, you know? So we're like, we should... We should probably Pepper a few more of those. Do more of those. Uh, yeah. So yeah. O- overall, though, it's uh, it's it's pretty great, and it feels good. You know, now now that we actually have like uh, a sensible me- mechanism by which the player can die, and it's not janky and it's not broken, and so it makes the world feel more consequential and like things matter more. You know, you got to be a little more, more careful, and and if you do fail at something, then now you've you know you've got a little mission to go on to get your stuff back. So overall, I think it's. It's it's working great, and then you know we got like Sam said, we got a, a billion different knobs and dials we can turn. So if it if over the course of playtesting and stuff, if if it turns out that it's not working as intended, well, no problem. You know, uh, we want to make sure everybody has a good time. So uh, all right, I think we have time for a question. Let's do it. So uh, this question comes from podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, so if you want to get your question onto a future episode, just go there and ask it. Highest upvoted question comes from. Cuckoo Kachu, who says, Hey, B-Scotch brothers, curious if any of you have faced imposter syndrome during your formative years in game dev. Uh, what the experience was, if any, and when or what moment was it that you confidently say, I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer, or I'm Adam and I'm the web fondler, or even I'm Sam and I'm the artiste. <laughs> the I mean, I've had a lot of variations, but I don't recall That's that That's a good one. one. I, like, I, think I, like you, I think you might have done That's that possible. one. But, uh, and... Uh, <laughs> And how did you know, really know deep down, no one could tell you jack squat otherwise, <laughs> even yourself, you know, self-confidence and self, sense of self isn't my strong suit. Love everything you do. Stay beautiful. Less than three, which is, you know, heart. The, uh, yeah, I think it's always, I mean, I know for me, it's always there. I don't think it ever goes away. Um, largely when you're in, when you see other stuff, it's in the art case. You see other stuff that people are making. Um, it's very easy to just glance at someone's stuff and be like, that's good. It's not, I have to go look at the architecture. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that discipline is particularly hard to yeah. not get hit by that. Yeah, a lot of people fall out on the art side because, you know, you, you look at all these artists who, and a lot of times, like, you'll, you know, you come across people who are like 16 and Jesus Christ, like, they're just sort of, they're just unstoppably pumping out these incredible works already. And you're like, I'm, you know, I'm 32. Sometimes I have a hard time drawing a face. What's wrong with me? You know, uh, faces are very hard to draw. Yeah. I think the, I think what you, what I've learned over time is really just, is not the, the imposter syndrome doesn't go away. It's just, I think it cultivated more self-compassion to be like, who cares if it's fine. <laughs> it's fine if I don't. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. But know? Yeah. I also feel that this is a the the framing to me of imposter syndrome is this idea that that I'm I'm getting results in a thing and people seem to believe that I know what I'm doing mm-hmm. and people seem to believe that I'm good at it yeah, but I, I don't, don't think I don't think that I am actually good and it's not just a matter of time before they like find out some some before I before I it, I'm obviously out of my depth and somebody finds out about it right um 
which I right. That's different than just being like I'm not feeling like you're not good. I'm enough. not good at a thing. Yeah, because yeah. because it, it has I, to I be feel like despite the evidence that you mm, are right, it has to be yeah that yeah. So I I have to say I don't feel like I've struggled with a lot of imposter syndrome over my years of game dev because I feel like I've generally tried to be very honest with myself about what I know and what I don't know. Um, and, and so for example, like if I was, if, if I was to start working on a 3d game at some point, mm-hmm. right. I, I know that I basically know jack shit about, mm-hmm. <laughs> about how to program in that environment and how to think about programming in say like C sharp, which is what I would be doing if I was in unity or C plus plus in, in unreal engine. Right. And so, um, at that point, you know, I, I may get some good results, but I would know that 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 that's sort of like duct taped together. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with that. And if people find out that I didn't really know what I was doing, that's fine because like it's true. And also, uh, <laughs> and also, I have looked back on my own work so many times. And be like, well, I had no idea what I was doing back then. Yeah. To basically recognize that I generally don't know what I'm doing, and but neither does anybody will. else. Yeah. And kind of who yeah. cares? I, it's, it's an interesting <laughs> thing on the on the on this though, which is like, so you as a, I'll use the term artist, but it, it applies to all these disciplines, right? You as yeah. the person doing the work are privy to all of the details of doing the work, which mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. often just largely amounts to you know being frustrated, being confused, kind of like putting hours in, being annoyed, whatever. And then something comes out, right? Yeah. People seeing the thing only see what comes out. And this is, this is, it's sort of a classical problem for, well, I think for everybody who makes stuff which is that you care a lot about how hard it was oftentimes, how many hurdles you had to jump through or how innovative you had to be in order to achieve the end result that you did. But the end result is all that anybody cares about. So if that end result you yep. got, say you did a bunch of innovations on your side of things, you figured out how to do much stuff, but all you ended up with like, your characters now have shadows under them. Nobody gives a shit about how hard it was for hard you to, that because was. that doesn't matter, right? And so it's sort of a weird uh inversion of the like the imposter syndrome thing in a way which is like the reality is that no one actually cares about the process nobody nobody does except for you and other people doing the work like you who want to figure out how to do it better right uh the people you're actually giving stuff to at the end of the day only care about the end result and so i think that's where that that's basically where the imposter syndrome comes from is the sense of like i got this end result but like i know how challenging it was to get that end result therefore yeah. because it, it was challenging been, yeah it should not have yeah. been right yeah. Yeah. And that's but the it's, part it's, where it's just it just is what it is. And I think yeah. I'm kind of in Seth's camp too, where over over the years I just got like deeply into the is what it is kind of kind of territory, right? Get out like, get out of the shoulds yeah. Yeah. territory. Yeah, because just like yeah, into, I go do, to the land of is. <laughs> yeah, because I still wanna be do do my job better. I want to understand things better. I want to do better work, right? And I and that drive pushes me forward, but without a sense of like corresponding guilt or a sense of yeah. not being good enough or not being good. It's more of just, cause it's not about, there's no moralization of it, right? It's just, here's where I'm Here's where I am. Here's what that means I can do. I want to be able to do all this other stuff. And I think I can get there by doing these things, but I don't actually know if I can, I'm just going to go mm-hmm. try. Right. Yeah. And, and then, and I've like, I've, fa- I was actually just pumped. Like I was stayed up until like nine o'clock programming last night. And I was tackling a problem that I've tackled once every like four months for a year. 
and thrown just like hours at this problem, right? And it's one of these, one of these things that like seems like it should be easy and then it just turns out it isn't. And then last night I finally, like I was just, I was so confused and I was like thinking so hard and I finally like got it. I finally got it to work, right? Mm. You had to power up like an anime protagonist. (laughs) But what that meant though is that I had, (laughs) I had these like three other over the past year, very long and frustrating like work sessions where the end result was that the thing I was trying to do, I couldn't figure out how to do. Even though I was pretty sure there was a way, right? Mm-hmm. Which meant I I was accurately evaluated that like, this is possible. I just don't know how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. But that's happened to me so often that I was just like, okay, I'll try this again in another yeah, you quarter, right? You judge when the problem comes state. again to see if, yeah, exactly. To see if like, because if I can't see a way to learn what I need to learn directly, then I basically just let the failure sit and mm-hmm. then revisit it in the future when my brain just has new wrinkles for whatever happened in the, in the intervening time and just see if like something has changed in my perspective on things, my knowledge, my whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And see if that's how I can get over it. And it is still frustrating when I spend hours and like the end result is, fuck, I don't know how to do this, right? But it's frustrating and in in, like just that I was confused and it was hard and it just wasn't working, not in the way of like I'm punching myself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there are things still today that like I've tried to do at various points that I still have not figured out and don't know if I ever will and don't know if I can. Um, But those are just then things to work around when I'm solving problems, right? You don't need to be Uh, mean to yourself. That's that's what I mean as far as like the self-compassion. You just know what you know. It's fine. It's okay. If it feels like kind of like maybe you suck at stuff, it's okay. But like, don't need to, you can it's just okay recognize to where you're not so, be as good at something so, as other people. Yeah. Just, so there's, yeah, there's, totally there's fun. something about this too, that, that I feel like was really helpful for me, which was, I'm pretty sure it was in the book, um, the art of game design, a book of lenses. I'm pretty sure this was the book mm. where, where the author, which I, I think is Jesse shell. I think it's shell. I think, yeah. I think it's from shell games. Um, said uh, something along the lines of like, what I want you to do is like, pretend like you're, you're putting a ring on your finger. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just like, m- just make that motion. It's an invisible ring, but like this ring means like you're a game developer. Okay. Like the fact that you're wearing it, it means it, you are a game developer. So from the moment that you start programming your first game, you put that ring on, right. And you're a game developer now. Congratulations. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and for some reason, and he's like, nobody else can see it, but they don't have to see it. Like, you know that it's there, mm. right? And something about that really kind of like resonated with me where uh, before I started working on all this stuff myself uh, and learning how to program, I had a lot of ideas about what it looked like to be a programmer. Yes. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like there's so many, there's so many times you see in movies and stuff. It's like, you see these fucking hackers, like just go to town on the keyboard and they're like, I'm in, you know? And like they, and like people are using all kinds of words and jargon that you just don't understand. And like, as you're trying to figure out how to solve programming problems, you don't know what questions to ask. You're just stumbling mm-hmm. around. You have no idea what's going on. Right. But at the same time, you are still producing code mm-hmm. that does stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. You you are actually solving programming problems. It might be and full it's of not, bugs, might be inefficient, but it's still doing things. Yeah. Know? And the thing is, like, that's a programmer. <laughs> you're you're a you're a programmer, right? Uh I think and it's thinking it, of things as like a, a th- destination slash threshold rather than Yeah, there's some just ownership of a path, right? Because mm. like on any path toward anything, 
you start at zero. That's just how that's how that works. You don't get to start with anything, right? Yeah, and it doesn't mean that that once you get to like mile marker three eighty two, you're a programmer. Now it's like yeah. you were a programmer at the beginning, mm-hmm. not a great one, Certainly. to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but that doesn't make you not a programmer. Yeah. That just means you're a, a beginning programmer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I remember like having this conversation with Sam, where mm-hmm. where he never called himself an artist until like a year after Crashlands came out. So he had been doing game art for what four years at that point, five, um, yeah, five or six years, five years. And, um, and we had literally millions of people who downloaded and played mm-hmm. across all of our games. Get yeah, and he would always like, frame oh, it as so like, I love the art. It's all like, like four and a half star reviews, you know. It's like, garbage. Oh. Yeah, and the thing <laughs> is like, and 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 that's where the that's where the imposter thing comes from. Where like you have an idea, like what is an artist and what is an artist capable of, mm-hmm. and and do I look like that, and am I capable of that? Like, mm-hmm. does my life look like yes. what I imagine an artist's life looks like? Right, and no, it's never going to because it's all made up. It, like, doesn't, it doesn't look any given way. There is, there's no just. And I think I think we kind of get some of this confusion because there are some like really well stereotyped paths that people can take, like becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer, right? For the first parts of those careers, it's like there's a standards body, there's like rigorous requirements, mm-hmm. and like, but they're all very specific. But even in those, if you actually talk to people who go through that process, every person's experience is so fucking different, right? Mm-hmm. Even in these really tightly stereotyped things where there is a progression where it's like, oh, you're, you're a medical student. Yeah, an extremely controlled A resident. Right? Now you're an intern. Now you're an attending, right? There's like there's like graduation that happens. And, and we grow up where every year of our lives we graduate to the next year of school, right? So like mm-hmm. we're trained to have this idea that you sort of unlock new things you get to do and are capable of doing in these like tiers over time. Yeah, yeah like you're not a thing way. and then you work toward the thing. And then at some, some point, point you, you become the thing, yeah. you know. And the reality is, it's, all of it is a is a discontinuous jumping kind of thing where there are no actual standards for anything. Like we try to put standards on things, but it's not actually possible. And so everyone's experience going through it is different. No two can look the same. And so there's just no such thing as like, oh, at this threshold, I can like I can label this collection of like skills and capabilities right. and say that makes an artist or a senior artist or whatever. And you can see this too. If you go, if you go look through how do people define, say like a senior, yeah, senior programmer, um, a senior programmer, right? You will not find two definitions that are the same from any pair of companies. There, there are even some standards bodies that have like done it for like certain countries and stuff. Right. But even those, if you actually look at what they describe, you're like, this is very non-comprehensive, right? It's like, it has almost nothing in it that are all these like softly evaluated things because that is the best we can do. There's just no such thing as these thresholds. Well, not, not only that, but but I know, I know f- for a fact that I would fail almost every programming interview at any company that has them. I probably okay? also would. Because, right? Because I know that one of the thi- like the kinds of things that they ask about are sort of like algorithms, like and data com- structures, algorithms <laughs> and data structures. And the thing is, like, I can work with algorithms and data structures because I I do that all day every day. But I don't know the specific terminology, and I don't memorize everything all the time, which is what they're take, testing you didn't for. Take right? Comp classes and hash maps and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, so the thing is like, does that, mat- is, does the fact that I couldn't get a programming job if I had to go through one of those interviews, does that mean that I'm not a programmer? Like, no. While, like, while you're pro- over here programming 
video games day in and day out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like I've been, I've, I have had now a 10 year career programming video games. Um, and so, so it's, you know, you, you can't judge yourself by standards that just don't make any sense for what it is that you're doing. Right. Uh, well, even just, when they so do yeah, make it, sense, because sometimes they do like, cause like, so like for Seth, if he had understanding of the ins and outs of game maker, right. That would be like, those would be the kinds of things that he would need to do his job. And, and like, he's gotten better and better and better at that over time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you still aren't judging yourself along that path. You're just trying to describe where you are in it and what's mm-hmm. next. Right. Yeah. You're trying to evaluate the parts that seem like they should be easier for you to do or evaluate the parts where like, there's something that there's has a, a bad result. There's a hole and you need to be able to fill in that thing for some reason. Cause it's also a premature optimization problem, right? Like, yep. You don't need to know about a thing necessarily until it's in the way. Because it is true that the more stuff you know, the more approaches you just have available to solve problems. But yep. that's also true forever. You could just keep on knowing more things. Yeah, forever. you don't. You don't actually need right. much to get started. Truthfully, yeah. in almost all these made. I think there's a really good. Um, I think it was Sycra S Y C R A on YouTube, an artist guy who makes this big chart of like basically his mapping of all the different skills. And then like what you, the normal jobs you would assign based on how good a person is at all of those different skills as an artist. So you got like design, you got, you know, uh, composition, color work, like all this stuff. Right. And the reality is like any one of these positions that he ends up looking at, if you're an illustrator, for example, uh, oh, you only need like the, the things that you need strongly early, like maybe two or three of those things. And then you need like just base level knowledge of everything else. Right. And this is why the, there's always a joke in art circles, which is that very few people, very few are good at perspective because perspective is extremely technical and really fucking hard and generally annoying. And so most people just use nowadays, you'll just mock up some shit in 3D, take a screenshot of it and paint and over. Trace it. Yeah. yeah. Because like, who cares? You but, know, but, here's, but here's my, my counter argument to that is those people are good at perspective. No, they are. No, no, no. I think it's a different thing. <laughs> because they figured out tools to make it so yeah, they can exactly. perfectly render stuff yeah, in they've, perspective. They've solved the problem, but not in the way that, Again, you have this like true programmer, true artist thing. It's like, oh yeah, you can't, yeah. I can't draw a box in like any perspective, just sort of willy nilly. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I can't hardly draw a face without like taking a bunch of time to figure it out. But like, who gives a shit? So, I can do a bunch of yeah. other stuff. I mean, can, all, all yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah, that's not the question because the question is, can you draw a face? Yes, yes you can. <laughs> can you draw things in perspective? Yep. Okay, who cares if your process is. 3D thing, make a render like because because at the end of the day, you've got a thing rendered in perspective, mm-hmm. and like like we were talking about earlier, it's the nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody cares how you got there. Can well, you do it? Yeah, some you can people will, but those are assholes, right? I think this is the same Generally. idea as like whenever yeah, you hear yeah. somebody <laughs> use the word the word crutch pejoratively, right? Where they're like, oh, they're just, you're just doing that. It's just mm. a crutch. You need to like figure it, right? What do people use crutches for, right? It's because they're disabled. Because you need them to get around. They yep. need them to get around. It's a, it's a mobility aid for people that it's need it. It's a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool. To, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't make any sense to criticize that. Like, that's the, that's the most absurd thing that I can think of, right? But that's, for some reason, the metaphor that people use when you're using a tool to your advantage to accomplish some task, when they just think, or you just think, if you're doing this to yourself, that you shouldn't need that tool. Yeah, you know what I think? I and think hammer, hammers thing. are a crutch. You know, yeah, it's like, your you're hands, not, you baby. If you're not punching nails into the wall <laughs> with your bare yeah. fist, then you're not a real uh, carpenter. If you're know. not molding <laughs> your own keyboard, and you know, right? And if you're not building your own uh, CPU from the ground up before you start programming, you're you not know what? If you're wearing clothes, 
that's a crutch, you know, get more bodies yeah. or less dependent, you know, situation. Yeah, get hairier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think, I mean, the point there being that any, like any of these things, any, any tool that you're using to assist you and your ability to do something that you're trying to accomplish Great. for whatever reason. Great. Excellent. Is a good, it's like, it's a perfectly valid thing to do basically across the board, unless you're doing something nefarious somehow. Right. But it's just fine. Like that's that's the whole thing about people is we're monkeys with tools. That's mm-hmm. the whole fu- that's our whole fucking thing, right? And so if you're gonna throw away the tools part, you're just a monkey again. Mm-hmm. You know, that's true. just get into the tools, embrace it, stop judging it. Don't judge yourself. Don't judge other people. Just use whatever you got to do. Just use yeah, whatever. Cause, yeah, because that that mindset, you know, it's 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 arbitrary gatekeeping and line drawing. Yep. I, I when I say line, I mean like drawing lines in, in the sand. You know? <laughs> I, like I, I remember. Line drawing is a good skill for us. Yeah, um, um, Not for me. I but yeah, really just do it, just to kind of to kind of <laughs> close this out because I remember when I first started programming, um, I I was introduced to game jams and I I participated in Ludum Dare. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ludum Dare is a solo jam competition, and the idea of Ludum Dare is like you you make everything yourself. So you make the music, you make the sound effects, you you know program the game, you make the art, you do all the stuff. You got forty eight hours. And then there's then it's judged at the end. Um, and around the time that I entered my first Ludum Dare was shortly after they had allowed the usage of game engines like Game Maker and Unity and stuff, because there was a core contingent of Ludum Dare people, programmers, because they're all programmers, because you got to program your own game, right? Who were determined that that if you use a game engine. Then you're not a real game developer because <laughs> uh, you have to code up the engine itself from scratch during the game jam and make the game in the engine that you made. Otherwise, it's cheating, mm-hmm. right? And I thought to myself, why stop there? Yeah. Why don't you mine the fucking <laughs> silicon and manufacture your own computer chip during the weekend? Where, why don't you? Yeah, where do they get the program? Yeah. Even not, not even going that far. They're using a programming language, right? They're yeah, probably using your own C++ programming language, right? You yes. know. So why are they using uh, that? How come you're using an, an internet protocol to communicate with the jam site? Why aren't you inventing your own ISP so that you can, you know, hook into the network? That what? What is this? What are we doing? Yeah, here? Do I, I do want to briefly touch because this is actually so the AI art thing is coming up real big, right? Everyone's yeah, just yeah. Oh yeah, and there's a huge amount of chatter on the internet about it, which has been hilarious because like uh, my stance has been, oh cool, it's a good tool. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, probably just like I don't know, you know, modeling. It's some like shit. GitHub Copilot. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. or like, like modeling no, some useful. shit in 3D for a 2D illustration you're doing. It's the same deal. You're sort of offloading some aspect of it that is kind of onerous or whatever else, uh, or using it to enhance your skills. It's not going to replace people because you can't do, unfortunately, you could do a lot of things with it. But I think as far as the reality of being, I think people who don't do art actually are confused about the reality of the specificity of the stuff you create. It cannot, Mm -hmm. you can, I basically, I think about like the AI, a tool like that can get you started and get you a good the way, good part of the way in and sort of, not like to skip some steps, but basically integrate a few steps in the same way that modeling something in 3D and taking a picture of it uh, would. Um, but it's not going to get you a, just a final product that is exactly what you are trying to get, especially in the context of something like a video game, uh, where there's too many other pieces sort of also involved. Yeah, it's the same Singular. as GitHub Copilot. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. the same. It's the same idea as it's 
and there, there is a truth there that there are certain kinds of ways of approaching art or programming or whatever that this does like just take away. And mm-hmm. which could mean if like that's the only part that you're interacting with, that that takes away your thing. The, uh, the need, I guess, for, for like you specifically doing that, that specific way, right? But it's actually a really tiny segment. For the most part, as Sam said, it's, it's just providing a new tool that can be integrated into the mm-hmm. stuff that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And again, a couple of it's the same way where it's, it's which is an AI tool that helps you code, right? It's like fancy autocomplete. Um, but like I do, like when you're programming, you're not, programming isn't just like, oh, I need to go use this algorithm again. So like, <laughs> let me go fast. It's, it's using it being like, okay, what is my problem I'm trying to solve here? And if you're not trying to solve a specific problem, why are you doing working on this project, right? <laughs> because that, you're just writing some code. You're just writing some code, code for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're solving something that's like so nonspecific that a thousand of people have done it, then which is then what like well, a tool like, that gives you, then why yeah. not just leverage that work and then move on to the stuff that is actually, you know, unique to what you're trying to, to solve. So yeah, it's this like fear of tools is it, it, it like yes, don't be it a lot changes you know? things. It absolutely Every new tool absolutely changes things. Some of them very deeply and foundationally, and and that's freaky. And like some people always get left behind for all kinds of varieties of reasons, um, and that can really suck. All that is true. Mm-hmm. Some people uh, get left behind, but some people just voluntarily yeah. stay behind. Many people yeah. leave themselves behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's actually the more and common. Don't, don't do too. that. Yeah, and it's yeah. So it's it's it's. I think, it, but it's all part of the same problem of just seeing seeing a thing that you can't do somehow with your, with the arbitrary threshold that you've set as what counts as like you doing it, right? Or that somebody else sets. is seeing everything beyond that, every use of every tool as a pejorative crutch instead of an actual crutch to help. Crutches are good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Use them. Especially if you've got a leg injury or something. You know, just like, that's, that's what they're for. So, yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, I guess, yeah, long story short, uh, you know, just ex- be accepting of, of your current skill set of the tools. Don't, don't get judgy and weird about Love it. Yourself. Just, yeah. just, yeah. And accept the fact that if you're doing something, then you're doing it. Yep. And there's no, there's no like sudden threshold where like you're allowed to say that you're doing it. You can admit that you're doing it badly. Yeah, and that's yeah. fair. That's great. You know? <laughs> to be honest. You know, that's uh, good. That's healthy uh, mm-hmm. because that, that lets you improve if you know what your weaknesses are. Well, and like it that's, doesn't, that's that doesn't also, mean that you're not doing it. Yeah. That's also the thing that causes the conflict too, right? As people who feel like they've put in all of the work to, to get to the point where they feel like they're competent at a thing. And they feel like they now, because they've been suffering the same thing the whole time, not feeling like they earned the title, right? And they finally get there and they feel like they've earned it. And like the classic being an asshole human thing is to see other people who aren't, haven't gotten there yet then claiming that same title, right? Mm. And those are the people who then make a lot of noise and are just, just You didn't do it the way I did. So yeah. Oh yeah. So that, but that's, that's just bad. That's just bad energy, bad behavior, right? It's like, well, it doesn't help anything. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't move anybody yeah. forward it's, anywhere. It's the problem of having the the concept of like the thresholds and the titles and stuff, right? Because you can just describe what you're doing as programming. Therefore, you're a programmer in the general sense. And then anywhere beyond that is now like, can you do a certain thing that needs to be done, right? Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't matter how you get there. Yeah. You, yep. Can you do it? Well, there you go. You're good. You're, you're, that's what you are. You're a programmer. You're an artist. You can do it. Congratulations. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. 
to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.